Christ, the Savior of the world, has come. He has come to turn enemies into friends. He has come to turn orphans into sons and daughters. He has come to turn sinners into saints. Praise our God and King. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 8. We will be looking at verses 23 through 34. Uh, Amos read those uh, that passage during our scripture reading. Matthew 8, verses 23 through 34. I hope you all are doing well this morning. I know it's rainy and cold outside, and I'm glad you still decided to come join us for worship today. And if you've been here the past few weeks, you you know that we've been talking about the, the Christmas way during this Advent season. We've been talking about the fact that it has four quirks or four characteristics of the Christian way. Do y'all re- remember the four? Can y'all name them? Man, I guess we got to stay all day long. I'm about to re-preach the other sermons now. It's the healing, the cost, there's the rejection, and then the storm, which used to be the calm, but I changed it this week to the storm because I think that's more fitting. We've already talked about the healing and the cost, and those sermons should be on our website if you want to go back and and listen to them. And on the docket today is the storm and the rejection. And before we consider what these storms and and, re- and these storms and rejections will look like on the Christmas way, please join me in prayer. I will ask you to pray with and for me as we come to the preaching of God's holy word. Father, thank you for sending your son. And thank you, Jesus, for coming. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work as well. And as we gather here for the preaching of the word, I pray that you will continue to move in our service, O Spirit, that you will continue to minister to our minds and our hearts, our emotions and our rational abilities, that you will minister to our whole person, not just one aspect of who we are, but minister to us holistically through the preaching of the word. We need you, Holy Spirit, our deposit that guarantees our inheritance, our helper, the one who is here to lead us into all truth, the one who is here to help us navigate this life. We need you, Holy Spirit, third person in the Godhead. Be for us what we can't be for ourselves. Help us to be sensitive to your leading. Humble us. Sometimes you got to slow us down. The Holy Spirit move, Holy Spirit guide, Holy Spirit encourage, and Holy Spirit rebuke if anyone needs to be rebuked today. And I pray for all this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, some of you know this verse, some of you may even have it memorized. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. And behold, the new has come. To be in Christ means to be in union with him through saving faith. 
Everyone here who has saving faith in Jesus Christ, who trusts him as redeemer and king, who surrendered to him as savior and Lord, is in union with him. Born again, a new creation. And the new, you have a new identity in Christ. And this new identity in Christ is described with terms like Christian, believer, beloved, uh, child of God, son of God, daughter of God, saint, and disciple. What is a disciple? The definition of a disciple is a person who follows someone else, a person who follows the teachings and the ways of another person. A disciple of Christ is a person who follows him, a person who lives for him, a person who seeks to walk in his ways, a person who believes and uh, and applies his word, a person who rests and and trusts in his grace and his finished work, a person who takes up her cross daily, a person who embraces Jesus' power and authority in his life. In fact, the four characteristics of the Christian way are all about Christian discipleship. The healing, the cost, the storm, the rejection. If you are a disciple of Christ and you're walking in discipleship with him, you will experience healing. That is, come to saving faith. You will experience there will be a cost, there will be storms, and there will be rejections. But do you believe it? Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Matthew, in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses daily and follow me. TVC saints, discipleship is what Jesus expects and even demands of a person who has been redeemed from their sins. This is post-conversion here. Jesus expects them to follow the Christian, the Christmas way. He expects all of his disciples to follow him in spirit and in truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is an amen statement. Because you need the Holy Spirit power to do that. We see Jesus' disciples following him in the passage before us. You see, after he orders the disciples to prepare themselves to go to the other side of the sea, he enters the boat first. And second, the disciples follow him into the boat. They follow in his footsteps. And that, if you think about discipleship, that's what it means. You following in the footsteps of Christ. Okay? He always takes the initiative first. Discipleship isn't Jesus calling you to do something he hasn't already done for you. It's a call to you to follow in the footprints I have left behind. You don't create new footprints in the sand. The footprints are already there. Left by Jesus for you to walk in. That is discipleship. See, the crowd that follows Jesus, they don't follow him like a disciple follows him. Because if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, all the Gospels, tons of people follow Jesus around. Follow him around. But they don't all follow him like a disciple follows him. A disciple follows Jesus in faith. They follow him in trust, in belief, with a submission to his power and authority and direction. The crowd does not do that. Only a disciple can do that because they have already been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And the spirit of God is the one that's allowing them to make that submission. 
Verse 23 says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And next, they set sail for the other side of the lake. And as they do so, Jesus falls asleep. He falls asleep. What do you think about that, kid? Jesus taking a nap. Apparently, he's tired and exhausted. Remember, Jesus is fully human. Him taking a nap shows you his humanity. It shows you he gets tired. He needs rest. If the Savior of the world needs rest, what about you? He needs some R&R, some rest and relaxation. And while he's asleep, taking his Savior nap, a great and violent storm rages upon the sea, covering the boat with huge waves, filling the boat up with water. Look at verse 24. It says, and behold, there arises a great storm on the sea. So the boat is being swamped by the waves, but Jesus is asleep. There's a contrast that Matthew's making here. TBC saying storm, the storm comes unannounced and unexpectedly. It threatens their journey to the other side of the sea. The storm is real. It's not figuratively. It rages on the sea violently. There's danger. That there's risk. What figurative storms are raging in your life at this moment? Because if you're not in one, you will be in one. Where have Jesus, where have you followed Jesus that led you to an encounter with a storm? That's an amen question. Because sometimes you will follow Christ and he lead you directly into a storm. The storm saints are part of the Christmas, of the Christmas way. And all disciples of Christ will experience a storm at some point. And storms don't discriminate. They come for us all. They are show up in the middle of your life unannounced and unexpectedly, catching you off guard, flooding your life with problems, griefs, and frustrations, hindering your journey. And these storms can be a sickness. They could be mental health issues, a loss of life, a financial crisis, joblessness, marital issues, relational conflicts, and persecutions. You name it. It could be anything. Storms bring you into a state of crisis, into a state of emergency. And in some cases, a storm can bring you face to face with death. Just like the disciples in our text. Remember, this is not, this is not made up stuff here. This is not a Disney movie or a Marvel movie. They are in an actual storm. They are actually experiencing this. They are face to face with death. They're in danger. They're at risk. And they don't have the power or the authority to prevent themselves from drowning. They can't defeat the storm. They don't see a way out of it. They're anxious. They're fearful in the middle of the storm. Can you relate to any of those emotions? Do you ever, are you afraid? Do you have anxiety when you're in the middle of the storms in your life? Or do you just pretend like you're okay? I'm all right, pastor. I'm good. You ain't good. Stop lying to yourself. You are afraid in the storms. You have anxiety in the storms. You don't have to come in here and pretend that when life is hard and you have problems that you are not afraid. 
What do you do with the fear and anxiety? What did the disciples do? Man, they run to Jesus. I mean, they sprint to Jesus with their fear and anxiety. They can't get to him quick enough. What we do, we want to run away. We try to escape. They wake him up from his nap. Remember, Jesus is asleep. And the storm rages on the sea. Calm, he's peaceful. On the boat, as the storm rages upon the sea, the disciples are not. They go to Jesus in a panic. They shake him and waken him up, yelling these words to him. Save us, Lord. We're perishing. Save us, Lord. We're going to drown. We're drowning. We're going to die. The storm is going to kill us. Do something, Jesus. Will you please fix it? Please fix it. Which member of your family seems to never have any pep in their step? Every family member has that one member who never seems to be in a hurry. Who, who never seems to move quickly. That person has one pace, slow. Everybody's in the car waiting, and sometime that person will come at some point. Jesus is that family member here. He doesn't move quickly to fix the problem. Picture this. The disciples come to Jesus in a panic to wake him up. Jesus, he's not scared out of his sleep like, like I would be. He sits up calmly, not in a hurry, not in a rush. The storm is raging in the background, but Jesus, he's not in a panic mode. He's calm, he's cool, he's collected, and he's asked his disciples this one question in the middle of the storm. Why are y'all afraid? Oh, y'all a little faith. Why are y'all afraid? Oh, y'all a little faith. Now, I don't know about y'all, but at this point, I'm shaking my head and giving Jesus the eye roll. I mean, again, put yourself in their shoes. The storm is raging. There's waves filling the boat with water. It is sinking. Your life is at risk. And Jesus wants to know, why are you afraid? Look around, Jesus. Wake up. We're up to our knees in water. This ain't the time for 20 questions. We need immediate action now. Jesus, why does every moment have to be a teaching moment with you? Why does every situation have to be a lesson on discipleship with you? Come on, for the love, you know why we're afraid. It's because of the storm. Our very lives are in jeopardy. We're like the disciples here because when storms enter our life, all we want is immediate release. All we want is a quick solution. We want the storm to go away. We don't have the mental space for to think about discipleship. We don't want a whole lot of questions. Nor do we want to hear Jesus ask us this question. Why are you afraid or you a little faith? You just want him to fix the crisis and the emergency. Do something about the storm. But sometimes... He won't have any pep in his step to fix your storm. Sometimes the storm is going to have to run its course. Sometimes you ain't going to get the response from him that you want. Please know that. Sometimes he's going to move slow. Because he's Jesus and you're not. 
The phrase, oh, you a little faith, is used four times in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's always applied to the disciples. Oh, you a little faith has nothing to do with justification by faith. It is not referring to saving faith. It's practical trust in Jesus. It's day-to-day belief in him. See, Jesus wants his disciples to trust him in the middle of the storm. Do you trust him in the middle of your storm? Or do you just try to get out of it? Yeah, we do both. He wants y'all to believe in him in the middle of the storm. He wants you to rest and, and depend upon him in the middle of the storm as it rages in your life. Don't mistake Jesus' silence as absence. And we do that. Because he's not moving, because he's not fixing it, maybe he's absent. No, he's there. He's with you. He just don't have any pep in his step at the moment. You're never alone in the storm. He's there. And even though he's with you, doesn't mean you won't struggle with fear and anxiety. You will struggle with fear and anxiety. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian because you do. It means you're human. Welcome to the journey. You can have those emotions and they don't have to control you. You can struggle with fear and anxiety and still trust Jesus in the storm. Well, you might say, well, Pastor, I don't have any storms yet. Live long enough and you will. It ain't, it ain't, it's always a matter of time. That's it for you kids. If you ain't in a storm, you will. You will experience a storm at some point in your life. And what are you going to do when it happens? Who are you going to run to when it happens? You can even have peace in the midst of your storm because of Christ's presence with you. That's the only way you can have peace in the storm is that you believe that Jesus is with you and not punishing you. Because we think storms is God's punishment upon us. It is not. It's just life in a broken world. He is still a man you well. The question is, is, do you believe it? That's a question you're going to have to ask yourself throughout your life. When life is hard, when the problems come, do you believe Jesus is Emmanuel in this situation? Do you believe it? Jesus, Jesus doesn't panic when storms come into our life. He's calm, he's cool, he's collected. He's even bigger than your storm. He has the power and authority to, over them. Look at verse 26b. Jesus raises and rebukes the wind and the storms, and there was a great calm. There was a great calm. Jesus has power and authority over the weather, over nature. Again, this actually happened. This is real. So if he has power and authority over the weather, over nature, then what about these figurative storms that you're going through? Is he not able to at some point bring some calm into your life? The answer is yes. It's yes. But he does it when he's ready. He does it when he's ready. He does it when he's ready. He says to the winds and storms, peace, be still. Peace, be still. He spoke to them and they listened. One Christian says, 
Sometimes God calms the storm, but sometimes God let the storm rage and calms his child. Sometimes the calm is going to be in you so you can get through the storm. What can it look like for, for Christ to, to calm the storm in your life? What, what can it look like for him to calm us? It looks like asking for help. Some of you are so prideful that you don't ask for help. I got it, Pastor. You don't have it. It looks like empathy from other people. It looks like patient endurance. It looks like prayer and fasting. It looks like going to counseling. It looks like day-to-day trusting in Jesus. It looks like going to the doctor. It looks like taking your medication. It looks like leaning into vulnerability. It looks like being debt-free. It looks like exercising a proper diet. It looks like finally living on a budget. It looks like saying no more. It looks like maybe you need to say yes more. It looks like being honest about your addictions and your struggles. It looks like having hard conversations with your boss or with a friend or with a church member. It looks like living with boundaries and accountability. It looks like taking a day off and resting. It looks like attending corporate worship. It looks like being in community and fellowship with other believers. It looks like reconciled relationships. That's what it can look like for Christ to calm the storms in your life. But do we believe it? Do you believe it in this season? In the season that you're in? Is he able? Or is he just able for other people? He's able for you too. And you got to believe that. In 1888, Campbell Morgan was one of the 150 men who sought entrance into the Westland ministry. He passed his doctoral, his doctoral examinations, but then he had to face the trial sermon in this spacious auditorium that could seat more than a thousand people, set three ministers and 75 others who came to listen. When Morgan stepped into the pulpit, the vast room and the searching eyes and Critical and searching eyes caused him to preach poorly. Two weeks later, a list was published. Among the hundred and the five rejected for the ministry that year was Campbell Morgan. Jill Morgan, his daughter-in-law, wrote in her book, A Man of the Word. He wired to his father one word, rejected, and sat down to write in his diary. Very dark everything seems. Still, he knows best. Quickly came the reply. Rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, dad. Like storms, each of you will experience rejection on the Christmas way. And and we all fear being rejected. It's an experience that Jesus shares with us as his disciples because he too experienced rejection on this earth. And two of these rejections are seen right here in verses 28 through 35. He experienced rejection by men, two men who were possessed by demons on the other side of that lake. On the other side of that lake. These two men, they were known as by the locals as madmen, terrorizing the region, region. And people avoided them at all costs because it wasn't safe. See, many of us uh, Christians in the, in the West, we don't have a category for demon possession outside of movies. Okay, many of us don't even believe it happens anymore, but it's real. 
when you read this text, that that's they're possessed. They're victims of some supernatural forces of evil has taken control over their bodies. They're no longer in control. So these men come out of some cemetery and and they come to greet Jesus as soon as he gets off the boat. And notice, I want y'all to notice something. They come to Jesus knowing who he already is. They come to him knowing his true identity. But yet they were not following him. They were not following him. They come to him with no desire to be a disciple. They're not going to come. They're not going to come submit to his power and authority. They're not coming to Jesus and saving faith. They come to question Jesus and to reject him to his face. Verse 29. And behold, these men cried out, what have you to do with us? O son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? What to us and you, O son of God, we have nothing in common with you. We don't share your values, your concerns and your convictions. Why are you here? What are your intentions? Have you come to torment us before the final judgment? Jesus doesn't answer their question. Why? Because they don't have authority over him. Okay. They supernatural, evil supernatural forces do not have any power or authority over Jesus. The opposite is true. Jesus has a power over them. And please understand something, saints. Jesus has power and authority over the natural and the supernatural. Even the supernatural forces of evil. The demons know the truth. They're not foolish. They know Jesus has authority over them. They just won't submit to it. And here's the point. Jesus doesn't need their submission to his authority in order to exercise it over them. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. That's why. He doesn't need them to bow down for him to exercise authority over them. He already can do it because of who he is. They know he's going to cast them out. That's why they make a request to Jesus. They ask Jesus, if you're going to cast us out, send us into these herd of pigs. And Jesus grants their request. Look at verses 30 through 32. Now, a herd of pigs were feeding some distance away. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And with one word, Christ said, go. And so they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Now, TVC saints, I got to be honest with you. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> so, I don't know why he grants this request. Matthew doesn't even give a hint of what Jesus' intentions are here. The commentators I read, they don't really know either. But what I do know is that Christ has authority over the supernatural, even the supernatural forces that are evil. What does this kind of rejection mean for all disciples of Christ? It means we will counter rejection from the same supernatural forces of evil in the heavenly places there are forces at work that you cannot see do you believe that do you be, actually do you believe it timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says now the spirit says that in later times some would depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons what is he saying there? Supernatural forces are at work. Do you believe it? 
or is it just a fairy tale? Or is it just a nice Hollywood horror movie? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Again, do you believe that it's true? Do you believe it's true? The enemy will actively work against you as a believer. He will reject you. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. Are you unaware? Make yourself aware. In 1 Peter 5.8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to consume. Do you believe it? TBC Saints, spiritual warfare is part of the Christmas way, period. It's real. And if you're going to walk this walk, if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to follow the way of Christmas, then you too will encounter spiritual warfare at some point in your life. That's an amen statement. You don't have to amen it. Christian artist Michael W. Smith says, if you are a follower of Christ, the evil one is after you. When you sign on for Jesus, you enlisted in a great war. You have become a combatant in a titanic battle for spiritual dominion. That has been going on since before Adam and Eve. The enemy has marked you for annihilation. And his demonic armies are aiming their big guns right at your heart. Right at your heart. But the good news is that Jesus is with us, even in spiritual warfare. Have you ever thought about that? Because often when you read Ephesians 6, you read it as if you were alone. You, You individualize it. Like all Americans do. You, you, make it, you, you make it an individual thing. It can't be that. Christ is with you in that. The Spirit is there with you in that. He's with you in your struggle against the forces of evil in the heavenly places. He has full authority even over them. So you can trust Jesus in the midst of spiritual warfare. You're not alone. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? As San Francisco-based therapist says, the fear of rejection is one of our deepest human fears. Biologically, we are wired with a longing to belong. We fear being seen in a critical way. We're anxious about the prospect of being cut off, demeaned, and isolated. We fear being alone. On a cognitive level, we may be afraid that rejection confirms our worst fears. Perhaps that we're unlovable or that we're destined to be alone or that we have little worth or value. When these fear based thoughts keep, keep, keep spinning in our minds, we become agitated, anxious and depressed. You see, the Christmas way doesn't just mean you're going to encounter supernatural rejection. You're going to encounter rejection from natural things, too. From people. From individuals. Like a parent a grandparent, a child, a friend, a boss. Like you will experience these natural rejections from the people that you interact with. Rejections from a particular group, a tribe of people, from a club, from a sports team, from a political party, from a corrupt system, from a government. And we all fear this type of rejection. But we will experience it on the Christmas way. But do you believe that? Because American Christians, we're entitled. 
Amen. We're entitled. We're spoiled. Because we think everybody should like us. We do. We think we're special. That we shouldn't experience some of the things that our other brothers and sisters experience around the world. But we may at one point, saints. God has not promised us that you're going to live in a country that's always going to accept your belief. He has not made that. You can church, you can search the scriptures back and forth. He did not say, America is my kingdom. Amen. My kingdom is much bigger than what you think it is. It's not what you can see sometime and touch. That in this life you will deal with rejection. You will experience rejection. And some of us can't handle that because we are entitled. If Jesus was rejected, saints, how much more will we experience that? Now I lost my notes. See what happens when I go off script? There we go. I'm back. Here we go. So rejection is part of the Christian way. But we have to accept that and embrace that. Remember those pigs that jumped off the boat, jumped to their deaths? They have owners. Okay? Someone owns those pigs. They belong to a group of Gentile herdsmen. And you heard that when Amos read the text. So I want you to picture this. Jesus heals these two men from their possession, frees them, from, frees their bodies, frees their minds. And the herdsmen, they are eyewitnesses to a miracle. It's a miracle that negatively impacted them. Have you ever seen that story this way? You see, they're eyewitnesses to what happened to their pigs. They watched helplessly as each of their pigs jumped to their death. Please know those pigs represented income for them. What's their response? Well, they look at each other and they take off running. These brothers flee. Not to Jesus. They go back to the town. Tell everybody what had happened to their pigs and the demon-possessed men. So the whole town, they gathers to listen to Jesus. And eventually the whole town goes out to meet Jesus. Not to thank him for delivering the men from their demon possession. Not to believe in him. Not so he can hear their sick. Not to submit to their, his authority. They go to meet Jesus in order to reject him. Verse 34. And behold, all the town came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. What does this natural rejection mean for us today? It means everyone isn't going to accept you and praise you for the good that you do for God's kingdom. No one, everyone is not going to pat you on the back for your mercy deeds for the poor. It means, it may mean you working for someone else's good might negatively impact somebody's bottom line. It may mean you may be asked to leave a group, a club, or an organization or job because you are a disciple of Christ. It may mean everyone isn't going to like your ideas. Amen, Pastor. It may mean your view of justice might not always be accepted. It may mean everyone is not going to be on board with your plans for community development. The point is that all disciples of Christ, regardless of who you are, you will experience rejection. We as American Christians, we will deal with rejection. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It means welcome to the clean team. Welcome. 
Welcome to discipleship. Jesus' way. There is rejection. There is a cost. There are storms. And sometimes there's healing. Jesus was rejected for you. Do you realize that, saints? Do you realize that? What do you think the cross represents? Rejection by his father so that you can be accepted. To think about that this Christmas season. That that baby that we romanticize, that baby that we turn into a lovable story, was born to be rejected by the father who sent him. Think about that. Think about it. Let it go here. That he was born to be rejected so I can be accepted. So on that cross, God turned his face from his own son. Poured all his, he just didn't reject him, he punished him. For you. So that you can be accepted. Again, the Christmas way is not always this happy, lovable feeling with all these colorful lights. If, if you're going to make a movie, a true movie about Christmas, it is a horror movie for Jesus' point of view. But for us, it's joy because through his punishment, through his death, through his resurrection, we are made healed. We are beneficiaries for his suffering. For his humiliation. For his rejection. The curse that brought us peace was upon him. So everything that we, we think about in this season, just know where it's leading to. It's leading to the cross and to the resurrection. That Christ came, as the song says, to save us from our sins. And that's why he came. For you kids, for all the adults. As, the, as one song says, I'm forgiven because you're forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have not promised us a view of discipleship that's going to always be comfortable. You have not promised us that as we go down this way that it's going to be a paved with rose petals. What you have promised us is that you will be with us. In the healing, and the cost, in the storms, and the rejection, you are there with us. And the Holy Spirit, as we go out, as we celebrate, and as we travel this week, I pray that you give us safety. I pray that we will enjoy our families, even the ones that get on our nerves. Give us the humility that we need to enjoy this time and this season. And I pray for all this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Will you please stand, saints?